I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. For many rare disease patients, the drug discovery and development process moves slower than the diseases they're battling. Earlier this month, representatives of the patient community joined with academic researchers and drug developers at the Charles River Rare Disease Symposium in Cambridge, Massachusetts, to explore ways to accelerate the process of drug discovery and move more quickly toward human clinical trials. We spoke to Doug McDonald. Director of Research Operations and Scientific Alliances for CHDI Management, and Antti Nurmi, Managing Director of Charles River Discovery Services, about the obstacles to rare disease drug discovery, the critical role collaborations play, and what can be done to accelerate the process. As a matter of disclosure, Charles River is a client of Levine Media Group, which produces this podcast for Global Genes. Doug, Anthony, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you. We're going to talk about the Rare Disease Symposium that took place, ways to accelerate the move towards an IND, and, and the takeaways from the day. But I'd like to start with the work of the CHDI Foundation and its focus on Huntington's disease. For people who may not be familiar with the condition, what is Huntington's disease? How does it manifest itself? what treatments exist today, and what's the prognosis with someone who has it? Well, Huntington's disease is a genetic uh, inherited disorder. Uh, It's a neurodegenerative disorder similar to um, Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, but it affects a a different part of the brain, um, predominantly the striatum. Um, And it's genetically inherited. There's a single gene mutation. Uh, It's a mutation in the Huntington gene. And if you inherit that mutation, you will manifest Huntington. So it's 100% penetrant, um, which means you can be genetically tested and, and know your destiny uh, if you are at risk for it, meaning if one of your parents had it. Um, early symptoms can include, um, you know, memory disturbances or um, some emotional disturbances. But the hallmark of the disease is the Huntington's chorea. Um, which, are, is, which is a movement disorder. Um, uh, Korea is, is Greek to dance, so you can imagine what those sorts of movements are like. And, and are there treatments available today? There's, uh, there is an FDA-approved drug, tetrabetacine, that uh, will treat some of the chorea movement, but there are no disease-modifying therapies, which is one of the goals of, of the CHGI Foundation to develop meaningful therapies for Huntington's disease, which will uh, slow the progression of the disease or delay the onset of the disease. So what's the prognosis today for someone who, who develops Huntington's? Um, well, today, um, uh, you know, some people would say there's a lot of hope. Uh, there are some novel clinical trials going on for Huntington lowering um, so if you can reduce the expression of the mutant protein, uh, it's been shown in some animal models uh, that you can alter the course of at least the, the dysfunctions that are present in that animal model. 
Um, and there, there are other uh, advances as well. So um, I, I would say that, that, that there's hope. Now, drug discovery takes time, um, but uh, th th there's certainly hope for people who, uh, who have this in their family. In the world of rare diseases, this is, I'd say, a relatively better-known condition, but how well understood is it from a biological point of view? Um, pretty well. So the gene was cloned in 1993, and uh, ever since then, several, multiple uh, investigators have been working on this uh, international, internationally. Um, so studying the gene and uh, the function and structure of the gene and the mRNA and the protein are, are, are an ongoing uh, process. And we at CHGI are also looking at those um, attributes uh, of the protein, things that maybe make it more toxic than uh, it might otherwise be or things that make it less toxic. So there are things uh, you can do to proteins. They're called post-translational modifications. And uh, I know I'm going down into the science here, but you know th th there are ways to, to control the activity uh, of different types of proteins, and so um, we're at that level of understanding on a molecular level what, how to um, how to regulate uh, perhaps toxicity of, of the Huntington protein. Let's take a step back. CHDI is an unusual model. It's built around collaboration. You're a foundation, but you're also a nonprofit biomedical research company. What exactly does CHI do and how does it operate? We are foundation funded and so we're not for profit. That, that, that's the uh, first thing. Uh, the second thing is uh, who are we and who we are are people who have worked in other biotech companies or big pharmaceutical companies or even have been uh, clinicians in the past and we've been hired to work solely on Huntington's um, we have people from uh, the biology side of things, from the medicinal chemistry side of things, from uh, safety and toxicology, as well as uh, clinicians. We, we, we have a, a growing clinical group as well within CHDI. So in a way, it's soup to nuts. You, you have to identify the target that you want to um, go after for a therapeutic, and then eventually you're going to have to run the clinical trial for it. So we work on uh, things at that distal end such as novel outcome measures within um, uh, for patients by performing some natural history trials. Um, the other significant thing is we've built up a um, international registry called EnrollH, where we've rolled a lot of um, uh, regional registries of patients into this one study uh, where there are annual visits um, and biosample collections. So as when it's time to do a clinical trial, there's this very nice database where one can query and find out where those patients are that you that will be most benefiting of the therapeutic to be tested. And in terms of collaborations, how broadly do you collaborate? Um, well, we collaborate with uh, many different types of people. So we have a strong academic portfolio where we support academicians and PIs within universities. Um, we form collaborations with other biotech companies. Um, perhaps uh, a company that wouldn't normally enter the Huntington disease therapeutic space, but uh, if we come in and offer a collaboration and maybe some animal models or, or what have you, uh, sort of to, to lower the barrier of entry, uh, we'd like to say. 
And then we also will collaborate with large pharmaceutical companies because they have been working on um, potential therapies, uh, you know, target-directed therapies for a very long time. And if they have a sharp tool to test a, a, um, a potential mechanism that may benefit Huntington's, we'll talk to them and, and test it in our models. And things work out, we can um, bring things forward together. As you think about the day's discussion and your own experiences, where do you see the biggest challenges in moving uh, a discovery from that preclinical stage to the clinic? For rare diseases specifically, are there things that stand out as the, the biggest hurdles? Well, when the Huntington gene was cloned, uh, it, it's, it's a very large gene and it makes a very, very large protein that... Um, misbehaves, it misfolds, uh, much like other neurodegenerative diseases. And that's the thing that causes the toxicity. It's not a uh, overexpressed enzyme in which you can inhibit or a um, down-regulated G-protein couple receptor, which you can maybe uh, uh, turn on more. It's, um, it's a very difficult target to, um, to drug, if you will. Uh, we always talk about druggability of targets. Um, Huntington, the, the, the cause of Huntington's disease is a difficult um, uh, gene and protein to, to drug. With the exception of some of these novel Huntington lowering approaches using um, antisentogonoglutides or uh, viral delivered miRNAs, which are, you know, really approaching the clinic for, for testing. I'm um, actually one of the antisentogonoglutides currently in phase one. Um, it, it, it's it's the, the difficult target to drug. Um, we have challenges, but we also work on the basic biology. We hope understanding uh, neural circuitry better, um, and uh, and the compensatory mechanisms that do take place in Huntington's disease to capitalize on those. Um, so we try to take many shots on goal and to create a diverse portfolio. Um, targeting different, different uh, mechanisms. Yeah, it's interesting. You mentioned that, you know, one of the things that stood out to me from the day, and you also spoke to this, in, in the case of a disease like Huntington's disease, which is monogenic, you know, we're at a point where, where gene therapy is no longer science fiction, and it would seem to be that why not go with gene therapy and, and Huntington's disease as a a way to just knock out the disease, but you talked about the importance of having that multi-pronged approach. Why is that from a rare disease perspective? To, to truly um, change the course of the disease, you may need polypharmacology. Like, you know, gene therapy may not be um, the ultimate answer. I, I believe it's going to help patients, but, you know, I, I often don't like to use the word cure, especially for a disease that's genetic-based, but um, if you really do want to cure a disease, you may need to um, not just have a single therapy, but, but a multi-therapy. So some of these other approaches that are working on uh, different aspects of the disease, um, such as corticosteroidal connectivity, uh, you know, going after targets within that axis, as well as Huntington lowering, for example, it, it may be needed. Um, we to also talk about when to, to treat, how early can you go. Um, with, with Huntington's, you can get genetically tested before you, you show signs of the disease, so there is a potential 
to prevent the onset. Um, but that, that that's, that's a long ways in the future. Another theme that came up was the importance of data sharing. From the perspective of a funder looking to accelerate drug discovery, why is data sharing essential, and how do you handle that? Yeah, and I would even go on to say it's reagent sharing as well. So um, data sharing, certainly, uh, we um, if, if we collaborate with someone or fund an academic lab to, to you know, address certain questions. We want those results known. Um, sometimes they're negative and, and people don't want to publish those negative results, but it's really important to share them because we don't want the next person to repeat that same experiment and get that same disappointing result and that just wasted a bunch of time. Uh, we are a time-motivated organization, and so we think data sharing, um, giving as many eyes to look at the data interpreted as possible as always a good scientific practice. And then on the reagent side, uh, we really believe when when we make uh, antibodies or, or animal models or, you know, cDNAs, um, we want to be able to give those out freely to any researcher. Some may require a, a sub-license, but um, it's really important to share those reagents so as, uh, people can work on, on the disease with um, um, we, we also quality control all of those reagents. So we send out a, a cDNA, which is a DNA, so you can express, you know, a protein. Um, we've sequenced that backwards and forwards, so we know that it's quality control. So when that lab receives it, it allows faith that they have uh, the, the correct thing, if you will, in, in the tube. Let's turn to Anti here, Anti. How are you seeing rare disease drug collaborations reshape, and why are they so essential to advancing rare disease drug discovery? The collaborations in, in from I would say from service business or from CRO point of view are extreme, extremely important because we're talking about oftentimes in rare diseases quite niche areas, which means that that particular disease requires quite a bit of expertise and understanding which are oftentimes limited. So this kind of, I would say, generalized rules and, and, and practices in, in drug development or understanding the underlying disease itself doesn't really apply. And, and then the collaborations become to play that, that um, all the uh, patient registries, foundations, industry and academia really need to collaborate in order to get to the best final outcome uh, in terms of, like I said, understanding the disease, but also in terms of drug development. Well, one of the things we talked about were the cultural differences between patient groups, academic researchers, and, and for-profit drug companies. They, they all want to get treatments as fast as possible to the market, but all face different realities and, and pressures. What did you see as the critical elements of a successful collaboration? Uh, I think that this is, uh, it comes to having kind of, I would say, uh, views that is being shared by all attendees, if I say so. So in, in, in collaborations, basically, the, who are the partners in the collaborations, uh, they need to share the same values and also the same goals. Um, in When we talk about drug development, um, of course, in, in drug development, you have 
business aspects to that as much as you have the willingness and the need to cure the diseases, whereas in, in uh, say, in foundations and then with regards to patients, uh, the, the approach is not driven by any financial um, matters that much. And, and but ultimately in these collaborations, I think that this comes down to sharing the, the vision and the view on why are we really trying to do this. We talked about the challenges of rare disease drug discovery. There are often diseases that are, are not well understood from a biological basis, the heterogeneity of a disease, the, the range of phenotypic manifestations may not be well characterized because of the small patient populations. Where do you see the biggest challenges on the discovery side? Uh, my kind of a personal, I would say, the strongest background is, is understanding, uh, I would say, particularly animal models of disease. And, and, and over the past, uh, past years, we have been more and more, or I have been also engaged with uh, animal models of rare diseases including Huntington's and, and Parkinson's, uh, Huntington's and, and ALS, for example, uh, as, as an example. And those models, uh, uh, when we look at them as uh, models of disease, we more than often recognize that, 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 uh, that they are often quite limited in terms of kind of, uh, how to say, replicating the human disease or mimicking the human disease that we are trying to kind of a uh, model. These, typically, these animal models are also being used as uh, tools to understand uh, first proof of concept for, for newly developed molecules, or they have been used more broadly also to understand the efficacy of these novel candidates for these rare diseases. And it's, it's more that the, uh, the limitation comes from the interpretations that we can draw from these animal models. Saying so, I guess that, that, that we come down to understanding the biology more thoroughly, whether we talk about very simple or highly complex systems in, in, in experimental world. Uh, and, and, and we need to be careful on how we can interpret the uh, data, what we actually get. Uh, get from, from, from the research so that, that we can get a meaningful outcome but also safe and effective therapies on the market. The day was focused on what patient groups, drug companies, academic researchers can do to really accelerate that discovery phase of, of drug development. Doug, what was the key takeaway for you? Yeah, so the key takeaway for me was um, that, you know, um, both industrial uh, activities and patient uh, groups can work together. Uh, and, and we saw that in almost all of the, the talks. Um, uh, there were some pure patient foundations who raised money and, and gave seed money to biotechs to develop uh, enzyme replacement therapies. And um, I described our work with uh, Charles River and, and how we're working with them and their expertise at their different sites. Um, you know, the, the, the collaborative network that you can build and become a, an, an expert at a particular disease and, and come up with uh, unique and novel approaches is really valuable. You can do that in, within collaboration. Antti, how about you? I guess the, one of the key messages was that, that, that 
we can, we have a commitment and we have a responsibility. Uh, whether we are in the uh, foundations, whether we are in the academia, whether we are in the industry, uh, we understand the human suffering. We understand from, from especially through the foundations and from the, from the patient advocate. We understand this, uh, the, 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 uh, the, all the pain and suffering what the patients and then their relatives have to go through. Uh, and on, on top of that, we have also the scientific commitment and ethics that, that, uh, are, in a way, they should, uh, make us to do proper and, and, and thorough science in order to drive this drug development further because we have the responsibility uh, do whatever we can today, not tomorrow, but today. Doug McDonald, Director of Research Operations and Scientific Alliances for CHDI Management, and Antti Nermi, Managing Director of Charles River Discovery Services. Doug, Antti, thank you both for your time today. Thanks very much, Danny. Great talking to you. Thank you. Thank you, Danny. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com. 